All right, you're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, Tyler Cord, chef owner of Number 7 Sub here in New York City and author of a super upsetting cookbook about sandwiches. As someone who's sandwich obsessed, I was very excited to speak to Tyler, but kind of surprised to learn that um, we have some we have some differences when it comes to sandwiches. There was there's some disagreements. I don't know. Perhaps it made for a more interesting conversation. Tyler is a uh, a wonderful chef, great guy, and a spectacular writer. Uh, I highly urge you to pick up his cookbook. Uh, it's out now, and not a bad talker either. All right, let's do this. What'd you have for lunch today? Uh, you know, it, it's Wednesday, which means it's tomato rice day at the Academy Diner by my apartment. <laughs> and I went in for that today because that's what I do on Wednesdays. And they told me it was summer. And thus they are only doing two soups every day. And the one that got cut inexplicably is tomato rice. So I had chicken noodle and it was not great. Ooh. So are you expected to order, always order sandwiches? And people are like, wait, what, why, why aren't you ordering a sandwich? <laughs> I'm... Dreading the day I go into DeFonte's and they finally have figured out that I own a sandwich shop and like occasionally write about sandwiches, I feel like they're going to be weird with me then. Defon- so no, I don't tell any, you know, I don't like go in and say, hey guys, I'll have a sandwich. I'm Tyler Cord. I write about, sa-, you know. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me tell you how I'd like it. <laughs> if you could just go a little less on the prosciutto and more, yeah. Yeah. And like the bodega guy by my house, when he finds out, I feel like that's going to be a problem. Just because just he's going to be so, he already likes to talk to me a lot, which is fine. But he's gonna want to talk about the craft of sandwiches, and I. Well, do you, I, do you get like an egg and cheese from him, or what do you? How do yeah. you interact? What do you order? What do you order? <laughs> I lit, I go in and I get egg, egg and cheese in the morning sometimes. Um, that's kind yeah. of like this iconic New York sandwich. And anyone who lives in a New York, like, oh yeah, and I had an egg and cheese this morning. I was a little hungover. I don't know if people outside of New York get the whole egg and cheese thing. And can you explain to me, in sandwich terms, like what makes a quintessential egg and cheese sandwich? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't know anything about the egg and cheese sandwich thing. I moved here in. 2000 and I from Ithaca, New York, but I had come right from college in Ohio. But I I was interning at Knitting Factory Records, their record label, um, and I would walk from the train through Tribeca to the office, which was right above the Knitting Factory, and there was a bodega there that had a big sign that said ham ham egg and cheese sandwiches. You know, it was probably like a dollar fifty back then. Yeah, um, maybe that was even ninety nine. Anyway. Uh, and I thought that sounds wonderful. I will have that. And so I went and I and I got one. And I then proceeded to get one every morning that I worked there. <laughs> um, and then just that's just I've always gotten them. But I, I kind of just assumed. All right, I guess this is a New York City thing because like every bodega it turns out has them. They're cheap. They're delicious. And then at some point I was helping a friend with a bar in Oakland. And we were talking about sandwiches. And he was like, Oh, we can get the bread from this place. We can get the bread from this place. And I was like, No, no, no. Let's make exciting things to go in the sandwiches but the bread should be just like straight up like a bodega roll and he was like oh, what do you well, mean yeah. and i was like oh no 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 you know like the bread that your ham egg and cheese goes on <laughs> and like, he was what like do you mean? <laughs> we don't ha- that's not we don't do that so the roll is kind of like a kaiser roll it's like a round yeah, roll yeah it's just it's a bod- it's what i call like bodega yeah, bread it's kind of it, a hard know. top with little crescents in it but then the inside gets that almost a cottony mushiness when yeah. hot stuff goes in it 
Indeed. And, and there's also the always the fun game, which is that like, as much as I love eggs, the egg can be a little overwhelming in a in a an egg and cheese, especially because they always like make a big rectangle of it and fold it up. Yeah. And it's so like it's a, always it's a question: a, Do you want to eat that really dense egg part first or last? Because it is also the home of the most American cheese in that sandwich. Like if you go for the outside, it's it, maybe a, it has to be American. It has you, to be, you yeah, or else it's not a, who gets like a an egg and Swiss, cheese. Just like leave New York City. <laughs> yes, you don't. You don't. You don't specify the cheese because you. you it, 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 yeah. it, it achieves that weird. Liquidy I guess you could, but that would steak. be a different sandwich. No, and no that's point. not what we're talking because about. because it all sort of melds together. The cheese, the cottony moistness of the interior of the roll, ketchup or hot sauce. I don't mind like a whisper of ketchup is nice, but I feel like it <laughs> fundamentally changes and tweaks it. It's like when you dump the sriracha and the hoisin in your pho. Like it's just like it's still good. Yeah, but it's you'd like miss out on what it. But again, I'm also a weirdo because I'm the ham, egg, and cheese guy, cheese guy which is probably, yeah. I'm probably like the, the, two the percent. 10 You're, you're, like, yeah, you're like, like the 1%. <laughs> the, 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 the different kind of 1%. I will have my fancy <laughs> boar's head ham, please. None of this plebeian bacon. Okay, so so you got a book out, um, a super upsetting cookbook about sandwiches, um, mm-hmm. which I think, I don't know, I think it's like the best cookbook I've seen and I can't remember how long. <laughs> um, I just emailed your editor, Francis Lamb, who's also a great writer himself, to say it's the he best is. written, funniest cookbook ever written. Um, he, when, did, when did you realize that you were a, a talented writer? Is this, was this, have you always been writing? I, uh, no, and I, you know, I don't know that I'm that talented a writer. I had a great editor, uh, and, and he, but it's a pretty like, ballsy sculpted. It's a very irreverent. Crazy. You're just like, yeah. fuck it. I'm just going for it. I'm just going to write, <laughs> or I'm going to write what I want to write. What was the elevator pitch, as they say? I mean, it, I pitched this, you know, I was like, I want to write this, this crazy, upsetting, uh, distracting all over the place cookbook that's kind of hard to, follow and read <laughs> yeah they're like oh, no thank you <laughs> right they were like oh well okay sure this is funny but like what if we just did the number seven sub cookbook and do you know a hundred of your favorite sandwiches that you guys have served over the years but the intention was always like we don't need more just cookbooks and we definitely don't need more the kind of breathless like this is the culture of my restaurant and this yeah. is what we make for family meal and this is you know our what our plates look like like we don't need that stuff anymore necessarily or at least not from me did Francis get it out of the gate? He's like, oh, totally. Well, yeah. So everybody turned me down, and then I, and then I, uh, like a year after we had pitched it to everybody, and they'd all turned it down. I heard that Francis got a job at Clarkson Potter, and I kind of knew. I didn't know him super well, but I talked to my agent, and I was like, "Can we pitch it to Francis? I think he might like this." Um, and yeah, and Francis was like, "Yeah, let's just do it. This let's is great. Just do it. That's awesome." All right, so right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read something from your book <laughs> okay. if you to, to give the listener uh, an example. Uh, if you have not. Uh, picked up the book yet and you know, there's a lot of interesting names for your sandwiches and you just kind of each one has an introduction and you just kind of go into it uh, this is called the Suzanne Sugar Baker chicken fried steak is made from beef it's beef I realize that you already knew that but you'd be amazed by how many people order it and say um I ordered the chicken this doesn't look like chicken but I don't laugh at them because it is a little confusing just like when everybody makes fun of the insane clown posse for not knowing how magnets work because I don't actually know how magnets work there are a lot of reasons to make fun of the insane clown posse but their honesty and self-understanding about what is beyond their mental grasp is frankly great and I wish we all had the courage to admit what we don't understand also Pickled peaches and fried things go so well together that dogs can hear your pleasure at an octave we can't even perceive. Miracles! And this isn't chicken fried steak anyway. It's mushrooms. 
So, I mean, I, well, I mean, like, you, you got the, like, the, what is that, a Soylent Green reference in the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yes. You've got an insane clown posse reference in there. Uh, you got dog frequency, and you're not even talking about chicken fried steak. You're talking about mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> so, Are you sure I'm still such a great writer? <laughs> well, no, it's fun to read. Like, when, like, there are so few books where the introductions to recipes and stuff are fun to read. Like, I mean, one which I imagine maybe you probably get comparisons to is Brooks Headley's uh, Fantasy sure. Desserts books. And Brooks is a, a great writer also in a sort of very sort of doing his own thing sort of way. Yeah. Um, I think April Bloomfield and her writing partner, JJ, do a very good job at writing about things in the way in her own voice in a very sort of Britishy sort of conversational way. Yeah. Uh, but it's just not often you find stuff where you actually want to read it. But we, yeah, but that's what the, and it's that kind of Fergus Henderson, like when I first read that Nose Tail cookbook, I was like, this dude is just, I, I had never read a cookbook that was so like, you know, he writes about like, uh, you know, take a pig's leg and salt it and hang it up in the closet for a few months and it might get a little moldy and if it <laughs> yeah. does, that sucks, like don't eat it. Um, but then, but then try it again if that happens because this is going to be really great and you're going to love it. And I remember reading that and being like, this is – someday I want to write a book like that. Yeah. It was just like so incredibly like I was in this guy's uh, – I was just in a room with this guy having a conversation about ham. And he was like, yeah, this is how you do it. And that was a big conversation actually with Francis about how detailed to get in the recipes because originally I was writing – very much like that. And he was like, you know, we need to be more specific about amounts of things. And it makes it, it makes it much easier for people to actually do the recipes if it's more specific. We talked a lot about that. But anyway, the tone, I like that kind of conversational. But that's interesting. So you decided to be like, listen, I'm going to be, I'm just going to do what I want to do introduction wise, head note wise, as we call it in the biz. But then the recipes themselves will be a little bit more straight ahead and actually give you precise measurements. I want, yeah, because yeah. I wanted people to actually be able to make this food if they yes. could sift through all the crazy. Because yeah. I still tried to fill the instructions with crazy, and the index has a bunch of crazy stuff. Like I tried to make the whole thing as crazy as I possibly could, but but, it's but I wanted re- the recipe to be functional. And I know there are a ton of sandwiches in here. No offense, that I'm just never ever going to make. <laughs> but I still want to read about sure. them. Uh, it's also a very cool looking book. Can you talk about uh-huh. the look of it and how that came about? Uh, yeah. Uh, there were two people, Michael Nagan and Ian Digman, who we, we talked a lot about what it was going to look like. And I, much like uh, much like my restaurant number seven and the and the sandwiches that we serve at the sandwich shop, like I like the notion of something that looks very classic and simple and may, maybe a little austere almost. And yeah. then it's full of craziness, you know. So like at the sandwiches at the shop, we wrap in white butcher paper and they just look like a sandwich that you got at a bodega or wherever. You think you're getting a, re- a regular hero and, then and then there's all crazy of, things and all of a sudden it, there's and... roasted broccoli in there. Right, And exactly. you're like, what the hell? So, so yeah, so this, uh, I, you know, we talked about it and I, and we talked about Julia Child and uh, my old, like, Craig Claiborne New York Times cookbook and things like that. It was, you know, let's make this look really straightforward and, um, and perfect and then, you know, it's obviously completely flawed and crazy on the inside. Um, and a little bit on the cover. And then obviously the William Wegman stuff played very much into that because then he cuz his idea from the get-go was to take these kind of 70s cookbooks. He was interested in this time period of cookbooks when it wasn't about making the food look really glossy and juicy and perfectly edible and and it was more about kind of there was more artistic style in it back then I think he yeah. was of the mind that it was the case. So he took these kind of 70s cookbooks and cut out images and painted around them. Um, all right. In the book you write, at, in the intro, at my restaurants, I will never offer you a BLT because you can either do that at home or go to a restaurant where they don't care about being awesome. 
I will never make you a ham and Swiss sandwich unless, of course, that's what you really, really want, and then I'll make it for you. But I would much rather make you roasted cauliflower and smoked fresh dressing or meatloaf with pickled shrimp or fried zucchini with onion puree. Um, all that said, how do you make a perfect BLT? I don't know. I don't know if I've ever actually made a BLT. I'm no, sure I've made stop. a BLT in my life, right? But I can't. I actually had a BLT with my lunch today, and it was delicious. Actually, wait, wait. What do you mean you had a BLT with your lunch? I had a cup of soup and a BLT. I mean, so that's. I think you had a BLT <laughs> and you had a cup of soup with no, it. No, no, no. I went there for the tomato rice soup. Yeah, they didn't have it. I then decided so you got a BLT, to have the, a BLT on the side. Yeah, basically. How, <laughs> how was it? It was good. Did you have like? Bad underripe diner tomatoes, or for they, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's you know that's part of a BLT. I, I don't, I don't know if it if you use real tomatoes. I feel like that's a tomato sandwich with bacon on it. If you get a BLT, Ooh, it's supposed to have those cardboard <laughs> tomatoes on it, right? Or no, I don't know. I again, I don't really make BLTs very often. But all right, so let's start. So you do very non-conventional like sandwiches at uh, number seven, but they they work. There, there's and and my feeling is. Um, I assume there's kind of a formula that in your head when you're thinking about acid and texture and this and that, sure. like how do you go about building a sandwich? I mean, they're often based on, not, I'm not always, but a lot of the time they're based on existing kind of sandwich formulas. Like, can you give me an example of ones you've riffed on? Well, like the, and what it's probably one of our bestsellers. It might be our bestseller, but the zucchini parm is an eggplant parm, but instead of eggplant, it's fried zucchini. And instead of, a tomato sauce, we make an onion puree, but that's a little sweet and not super tart, so we pickle jalapenos to kind of balance and make it achieve the same kind of level the, the, of acidity, acidity and sweetness that of that it. tomato sauce. Anyway, so we just kind of swapped all the ingredients out for the other things, and then I put potato chips on it because I, I like potato chips on sandwiches. But, um, so that, but that is like kind of maintaining the, the essential formula of an eggplant or chicken parm sandwich. Take something that works and do your own riff yeah. on it. Would and you... then sometimes, but then if it's not, like the broccoli classic, which is, you know, roasted broccoli and pickled lychees and um, fried shallots and feta cheese and mayonnaise, that's that's still, I guess that's more just thinking about the balance of, you know, like roasted, awesome, hearty goodness with something a little sweet and a little sour and crunchy so yeah and so, if you, and... so if you have some of the roasted you want something a little sweet and if you have something a little sweet then you need some sour to balance the sweetness yeah and then you want some crunchy because crunchy is always good right those things are always those things that are always good together so did you have any idea how well like the broccoli sandwich would do when you put it on the menu no i mean like i don't know i hoped yeah but i didn't know but it's done great we we it's it's funny too that like our biggest sellers in general are vegetarian but it's not you know it's not we're not a vegetarian sandwich shop and i don't think it's vegetarians coming to eat those i think people just i lo- i mean i'm i'm not vegetarian but i love the broccoli one and i also i, I think we're in a really cool place food wise right now where I, I don't know like it's i think that sort of stigma or whatever vegetarian or that labeling yeah is is finally sort of fading away that good food is good food whether whether, still, whether it still, has meat or not is not something like oh yeah i don't sure. think about it it's just, we still don't sandwich. label the menu like these are the vegetarian yeah. sandwiches and these are the meat ones and i and i suspect though if we did do that we would sell a lot less vegetarian sandwiches i think when people aren't thinking about it they're just yeah. like oh yeah that sounds like great food i'll eat that but i bet if you put it in front of them if you like force them to make the decision between eating meat and not eating meat that that might change things i could be wrong about that what do you do hero role because i'm always curious about roles and and, and the and the, the role that bread plays in a sandwich and how does it how is it interesting but how does but not go to the point where it dominates a sandwich you know yeah yeah i mean because everybody not everybody but i feel like you read the like 
the most important part of a sandwich is the bread thing all the time, which which is not necessarily untrue. I don't I don't totally agree with it. I mean, it's important that the bread... We don't the wanna... mo- maybe the most important thing about the bread is that it doesn't get in the way of your sandwich. Yeah, you don't want the bread to screw it up. Right. But Unless if... it's like the most awesome bread ever, and then what are you doing? Just put some butter on there yeah. and eat it, right? Like if you got this like really special... Awesomely fermented. Well, it's interesting. Like over here at um, Arcade Bakery, which it's in a hallway of kind of a 1930s era yeah. office building. Um, and he built this little French bakery kind of like yeah. wedged into the wall there. Um, and my favorite sandwich in New York right now, no offense, um, is his ham and I'm cheese because he makes he makes these just beautiful baguettes and they, they crackle when you yeah, bite into Yeah, that's the thing. Them. If you have that baguette, like it's, I just want some prosciutto. Or yeah, so he just does butter, good yeah. French butter on it. A few slices of ham, so it's not all like. Yeah. I, I think Americans are guilty of just putting way too much meat on their sandwiches. Like, I don't need an. It's a different stuff. kind of sandwich. Yeah, but, but well, we can get to like pastrami and stuff, but just a few slices of that, a couple of planks of like Swiss cheese, like you know whatever, um, yeah, Gruyere or whatever. Yeah, and that's it. So really good butter, really good thinly shaved uh, like French ham, a couple of planks of cheese, top. That's it. Yeah, and, and that's awesome. So good. It's and just, so and so going back to my intro, like I'm not going to make you a ham and cheese because I'm not going to spend hours and hours baking bread like that because I'm not good at that. But like the, it, he's serving a ham and cheese, and and I guess I'm not knocking ham and cheese because that sounds like the greatest sandwich. This of all is time. like the platonic that is like, ideal of ham be, and cheese. But also because it's it's the same thing. It's like he's essentially saying to you, "I'm not going to serve you something that I just like bought some ingredients and put them together and hand it to you, like because that's lame and boring." I'm going to slave over this incredible baguette and I'm going to make that and then all that needs is a little ham and yeah, cheese exactly. and here you go and like that's an awesome. accent, but yes. either way it's still like a ton of you can spend a, several days making the perfect ham and cheese anyway bread can be the most important part of a sandwich but I think just when we're talking about sandwiches in general and we're mostly talking and most of what my book is talking about is the uh, kind of the American notion of a sandwich which is just a bunch of stuff stuffed in bread i don't i wouldn't say that it's the most important thing would you say it approaches kind of like po'boy bread down in new sure, orleans sure sure and sort of yeah it's, it's kind just, of pliant it's, it's, it's not light. Gonna, yes it's 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 not super complex it's not particularly complex in its flavor it's got a really nice light kind of uh crust to it but just bar- that's just barely there if you toast it you can tell it's m- there much more and if yeah, yeah. you don't it's just like this really pleasant tender awesome thing okay does this drive you crazy there's a uh, does it when when they when someone makes you a sandwich and it's like say it's like a ham and cheese sort of sandwich but they pile the meat too much in the middle of the sandwich so when you slice <laughs> it it's kind of bulbous in the middle and then it tapers off towards the end and they don't it's like a miss they, they don't displace the meat correctly evenly across the bread. Well, I'll say do, Am I insane? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. And it drives me crazy. You know who Dan Pashman is? Yeah. The sporkful guy. We've had He's Dan like on. really yeah. obsessed with the idea that every bite of every single thing that you eat has to be uniform. You know, at the same time, I do think that there is something to be said for the different experiences. Like for instance, like a a ham and cheese sandwich on a really great baguette has just that one thin strip of like dark 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 at the very like the middle of the bottom. It's like always is just a tiny bit darker than the rest of the loaf. And so your bites like personally, I eat around that and save that for the end because that's my favorite mm. part. But I don't want every bite to be the same because it's boring at that point. Do you ever make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Not very often, but I some kid wanted peanut butter at brunch the other day at the restaurant, and we I sent somebody to go buy a jar of peanut butter, and we made them a peanut butter sandwich, and then one of my line cooks grilled a piece of bread and 
smeared some peanut butter on it and handed it to me. And I was like, oh my God, why don't I eat this all the time? So then until that jar was empty, I had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day at work uh, for lunch. So would you ever consider, like, in terms of being inspired, would you ever think, like, oh, you know what? We should incorporate peanut butter into a sandwich like like that they do, like, in Asia with a saute and, like, you have a peanut butter with meat Yeah, we have. I mean, we've done things with like that in the past. It's been a long time. I really like, for for sandwiches, it usually ends up being, like, some kind of peanutty sauce and like mint jelly. I th- I think I did. I think there's a peanut butter and jelly, but it's not peanut butter no, and jelly. Yeah, but it's of like course not. No. there's a meatloaf sandwich in there that's like a peanutty something and mint jelly, or there's p- crushed peanuts and meat. Jelly. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I like I like the notion of particularly. I don't know why mint jelly like mm-hmm. frees my mind to think about going in other directions. Um, but it still makes it's still really it's like really sweet and still makes good PB and J. Do you have any um? You have a grilled cheese technique? No, I'm not that into grilled cheese, and I'm sorry. Oh my god! I feel like everybody that bums everybody. I feel like this was gonna be a great first date, and this is so not turning out to be a great first date. I just like, oh man, I feel like um, because I I think. Do you want me to go? (laughs) I know, but I think like grilled cheese is interesting, Um, and there is that I I think what is a very good scene um, in that movie Chef, which. You know, it's not the best movie ever, but they sure. they they did their food scenes very lovingly, and it's an enjoyable yeah. film with John Favreau and uh, and and the rest of the gang. And, and they, he has a scene where he's making this grilled cheese, um, and it's interesting. I think to do a grilled cheese well, it does take a lot of time because if you have a fair amount of cheese in there, you've got to cook it long enough sure. for the cheese to melt. But if you cook it long enough, that means you have to have it on a pretty low heat, so and you the, want it the to butter melt. Doesn't burn. You want it to melt. You want the cheese to melt to the point that it comes out of said grilled cheese and ends up on the pan a little yes, bit, right? Yes, oozes a little yeah. bit. So it's got you. It takes a lot of patience. But I want it to like caramelize on the pan. Like I want bits of it to go through. Well, especially because like if we're using bread with holes in it, I want that to go melt enough that it goes through some of the holes. And, yeah. and like griddles on the on the on the pan. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you have children? I do not know. Well, you will be making grilled cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just wait, young man. Sure. <laughs> um, you went to culinary school. I did. Interesting. Where? Uh, it was the French Culinary Institute, but now it's the, the International, International Culinary Center. Why? Well, I wanted to. I wanted to write about food, and I was. I, I wanted to write when I moved to New York in uh, ninety nine two thousand, and I and I couldn't figure that out. And I. Kept, but you were just out of college at that point. I was just yeah. out of college, and I kept taking these jobs. The only jobs that were available were always. Uh, the on the like web internet side of things and that was those were the departments even that back kept, then well that was like the yeah. end of it like that they were all hiring and then they would all lay me off like a week later <laughs> so i worked for the village voices website for a little while and then the new york times laid off their whole website and then i lost my job because they hired all the new york times guys and then uh, i worked at like the book of the month club and i i just kept getting these weird internet jobs but i was but they were like you know copy editing and stuff and i wanted to write and I seemed to be totally unemployable for some reason, so I, uh, I decided that if I went to culinary school, that I would be able to write about food because I would have a literary background yeah. and a food background. And then I went to culinary school, realized that I loved cooking, and then decided not to not to stop and write. I just I didn't want to work in an office anymore. After all, it turned out, so I just kept cooking. But and then when when did the number seven idea come up? Uh, number seven came up. I was well. I, I you know I wasn't one of those cooks that bounced around a lot. Like I I took a job and I stuck with it for several years. So I graduated from what was then the FCI and I stayed and I worked at their restaurant like Cole for oh. 
three or four years. Right I was, there on the corner in Soho. Right there yeah. on the corner, yeah. Because they had they had a the, the night students get there after work at like six and they prep and then at eight they start serving the restaurant. So me and a few other people made the food from five when the restaurant opened at five to eight until you know when they took over. Um, so I did that for like four years, and then I went and worked for Jean George at Perry Street for a few years. Um, were you were you writing at all back then? In, in any capacity? No, 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 no. So you're just, just cooking. cooking, just cooking. Okay. But then I, yeah. So then you know I'd been cooking for seven or eight years, and I was. It was the time when it was like I could either be the. I I was ready to like to be a chef, and so I could either do I, I could either do that for Jean George, but that would have meant leaving town because. There was nothing available at any of the New York restaurants, but he, you know, you would have had to go go to the Ocean Club in the Bahamas or something. Which you know, yeah. I thought about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so it was either something like that, or do it for myself and stay in New York. So yeah, so I decided I sh- would make the foolish decision of of doing it for myself and staying here. And I had a buddy who'd been building bars and restaurants, and I called him, and he. I asked him how to do it, and he was like, well, I'll just do it with you. Let's just build something. He had just built uh, that bar Weather Up in, in oh, Brooklyn. Okay. You know, sure. Yeah, beautiful place. I, I mean, I always tell my wife that I want to quit my job and open a sandwich shop, and this does not amuse her. Don't, don't do it. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah. But not so, in New York City, maybe in the Bahamas. Well, so that's what I don't understand. Like, so how do you, where did you get the idea that, oh, I can open a sandwich shop in the most expensive city in America where rent <laughs> is just, you know, a gazillion dollars a square like foot. It seems like such and, a good idea. And make a living doing that. Where were you to tell me not to do yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, we, you know, the restaurant had been open, I think, just under a year, and and some of the Ace Hotel guys had been by, and we, you know, we served sandwiches at the bar, and they they liked it a lot, and they were like, well, we have this space where it's we can't have a hood, it can't be vented, so you can't have like gas cooking equipment, and you can't really have a grease trap, so you can't really. We want to do food in the space, but you can't really cook there. So, would you be interested in a sandwich shop? And I, uh, having been in New York for however many years at that point, I don't know, eight or nine years, ten years. Um, I felt confident that nobody in the city understood what a proper sandwich was because it was just <laughs> bodega sandwiches, which I love, yeah. but it's just like boar's head on cheapo bread. Again, and not the, knocking it. I eat it all no, the time. But it's interesting. But there, in New York, there is not that culture like in Philly of like an Italian hero or places in Jersey. Like there's not I, – I don't know if there is it. I mean, well, I guess the one thing you have are deli sandwiches like, like corned beef and pastrami. And, yeah, and we, have, brisket, we have you know, delis, and delis and we have and we have like defantes like, and we have and there's yeah, like but defantes I don't know roaster if you want to go all yeah, the way but, up but, there, but, but, but in terms of like it's a different thing it's not like a like pizza is New York's thing you know what I mean in sure, terms of like sure, what sure, the sure. what the heritage of the city is about like it's not a sandwich right and city. so then at that point too then there were these people who were like no no we were going to open a, like a fancy sandwich shop and so then you end up with these places where it's like this is it, it's do you like want, a, do you want to name names. Witchcraft open. Okay. <laughs> and it's like a theme park. You know, it's like, well, this is a French sandwich. So yeah. we're going to use Gruyere and there's apples on it and it's oh, on yes. brioche. And this one is like an Indian inspired sandwich. So it's curried and it's like on Papadam or whatever. You know, it's yeah. like, it was like, it's super theme park and goofy. Well, it gets back to your point about you don't want it to label whether a sandwich is vegetarian right, or not. Just you make, shouldn't have I, to. I just, yeah. And, and so like, and that is weirdly still a thing to this day. You know, it's like now you can get pastrami ramen mm-hmm. and a like Reuben pizza or what you know, like people still do this kind of theme parky goofy stuff, but it was like super strong in the sandwich world, it felt like. So yeah. I was like, no, 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 let's, I know what we're going to do. We're going to open a sandwich shop where we still do weird stuff, but it is just, it's a sandwich. So it's always the same role. And it's got different things in it because this is my, you know, this is my blank canvas and 
I will paint beautiful things in it. Um, all right, let's argue about some stuff. We're going to give you our our lightning round before we send you on your way. Okay. Um, although now I, I feel like I should redo all of these because like, I, I feel like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just going to say I don't like it. I'm wondering if they're too straight ahead. Um, <laughs> Hellman's or Duke's? I've never had Duke's, so I'm going to go with Hellman's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I knew it, I was going to do this I wrong. Bet, I bet it tastes like mayo, though. That's my guess. <laughs> it tastes very mayo-y, yes. Uh, cross-cut or diagonal? I'm a cross-cut kind of guy. Really? I thought it was scientifically proven that if you cut a sandwich on the diagonal, it tastes better because you can start going in on the pointy part. I don't believe in science. Uh, breast or thigh? Uh, I love them both so much. I don't know. I don't know that I this love one. Gotta, I don't think you I have to pick one. I have to pick yeah. one because you said you you profess your love for chicken. I mean, then I'll walk. champion the breast, I suppose, because I do love the breast. How do you usually like? How, are you like? Do you fry it? Like, what's your if you're making a sandwich with chicken? Are you like a fried guy, a braised guy, shredded sort of thing? Yeah, how? I like it. I guess I like it probably just roasted and sliced or shredded. Okay, all right. Uh, this is gonna be a tough one. Broccoli or cauliflower? Broccoli, but I love. <laughs> Cauliflower. <laughs> Dill or bread and butter? Dill. Dill. Crunchy or creamy? Crunchy or creamy. Can, can I say neither in that I, I would go soggy over both of those? I like soggy things. No, I was talking peanut butter. Okay, fine. Crunchy. Yeah, extra crunchy. Um, at the at the restaurant, do you guys do like, do you buy the good for, good for you sort of organic peanut butter or do you like Jif or something? Like what, what makes sense? If you, we if you're, or do you ever use it? If if we're serving it, I mean, we we haven't bought peanut butter in a long time, but I no, we buy it like Jeff. Dijon or yellow? Uh, I just straight up on a sandwich. I guess I would say yellow to cook with Dijon. Really? I just I don't get yellow. I mustard. like yellow mustard. Really? But but again, like I like them both. And if I'm like making a vinaigrette, I'm gonna use Dijon. I'm I'm not gonna put yellow. I mean, unless that's all I got around, that's fine too. But I don't know. Um, I like all mustard. Okay. This is, I don't know what, I don't understand any of these questions, but Emil Stonic, one of our editors who went to Oberlin, your alma mater. Yeah, um, but he graduated so recently. I, I don't know. know if it he, counts. He's a youngster. He asked, Tank or Harkness? Tank. What is that? It's a, <laughs> it's the, Oberlin has a, as a student, you can live in the dorms and eventually you can move off campus. But uh, there's also this like in between, which is like a hippie fraternity kind of thing, which they're co-ops. And I lived in Tank for a year and it was great. But they, you like, there's a lottery to get in and you cook for yourself, you clean for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea what this one is. Sco or The Feeve? The Feeve? The Fev? I don't know. The Fev. The Fev. Uh, I'm going to say The Sco because I worked there and I liked it. But they're both, the one is on campus. It's like the student union has this weird club i saw blink 182 play there once it was really weird um and the fev is like the cool kids uh restaurant where like all the cool kids worked i feel like i'm gonna get in trouble for not saying the fev actually but i they're both great is that the full name of both or those the abbreviated names the sco i think is short for the disco okay and the fev i think that's the full name wow you crazy oberlin kids they had this great chicken and avocado situation that was so good yeah sounds good all right final question and we're not doing butter or olive oil just because you're a sandwich guy but um jerry Maguire or a few good men jerry Maguire. it's a beautiful movie it is <laughs> tyler cord thank you very much for coming by you're welcome thanks for having me and i'm sorry that i don't like the right things 
This podcast has been brought to you by Belle Cushing and Carrie Polis, with editing by Mitra Kaboli and additional help from Christina Che and Lily Sherman. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us anything about this or any episode, please email us at bonapetitfoodcast at gmail.com.